Welcome to Change of Plans. I'm Andres Zuleta. On Change of Plans, we feature stories of resilience and reinvention, interviewing entrepreneurs and other creative individuals who have found fun and inspiring ways to adapt to sudden, unexpected challenges. My guest today is Daniel Gallant, director of the New Yorican Poets Cafe in New York City. When New York went into lockdown, Daniel and his team had to figure out how to bring their live events online to help keep their community connected and engaged. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So take us back to the moment when you realized that everything was changing and that you were going to need to get creative to make things work. Well, um, I was uh, serving as a judge during a uh, New York State student poetry slam uh, final um, at the Fashion Institute. And during the break between the two competitive rounds, uh, word came in that um, Governor Cuomo was starting to implement uh, certain lockdown procedures and that some of the uh, you know, city-run entities that we and other nonprofits rely on were going to have diminished capacity. So we started looking into alternatives. I mean, throughout the cafe's history, our focus has been on live performances, readings, poetry slams, open mics, uh, experimental, edgy, sometimes really challenging um, content um, you know, the cafe stage has always been uh, a place for experimentation, for risk-taking, and for free speech. And in late February, early March, we realized that our ability to provide those services and to connect live audiences and live spoken word and music and theater was going to be curtailed. So we started looking into online possibilities. We'd been working with uh, social media promotions for a long time, for over a decade. But mostly we were trying to get, um, as they say in the business, get butts in seats, get people to our events, let artists, audiences, and spectators know about the experiences they could have at the cafe. And suddenly we realized that that work was going to have to change and that the, the online landscape was going to be the new and only uh, gathering place that we could take advantage of. And we've been able to reach a, a much broader um, audience and network of artists and students than was possible before. Um, the Zoom open mics that we do every week, as well as the spoken word showcases, music events, monologue showcases, um, panel discussions for authors and musicians, all of these events are reaching and engaging not just New Yorkers, but artists, audiences, and, and students all over the country and from so far at least 10 countries overseas. So obviously a lot of venues, you know, all over the country and even in other parts of the world faced a very similar or identical challenge of not being able to do the normal thing. You know, sadly, not all venues have been able to, you know, adjust to the new circumstances. So what do you think put you, your organization, in a position to be able to pivot pretty quickly? It's a great question. I think one of the um, advantages that we have is um, spoken word is very scalable and portable 
And poetry has existed as long as, as speech and music have existed. Um, poetry, spoken word, uh, and music can live in a variety of formats and circumstances. In a way, this new development, this pivoting, is really an extension of what the cafe and other spoken word organizations have been doing for decades. We're pivoting from on, uh, offline to online, from bricks and mortar to virtual, but spoken word is a constantly evolving art form and one in which um, practitioners are finding ways to uh, adjust an old format and adjust a, um, uh, an art form that um, has been around for generations to constantly evolving circumstances. It's also an art form that, uh, the way we practice it at least, thrives through dialogue and thrives through immediacy and thrives through, in a sense, creative confrontation. And Zoom and other uh, conferencing platforms allow for and encourage dialogue. A lot of performing art forms are not so focused on two-way communication, feedback loops, the interplay, and um, creative exchange between artist and audience. But spoken word, at least the way that we have practiced it at the cafe for decades, is all about that interplay. And the um, advantages of Zoom and other teleconferencing uh, platforms for artistic exploration in part is that it's very possible to move back and forth between spectator and audience and much more possible in a way online sometimes even than offline to have a member of the audience become a performer and then go back to being a member of the audience and to make that experience um, of crowdsourcing your event to make it feel even more democratic. I mean, there are people participating in our open mics right now who never would have been able to attend our events in person and might never have been able to attend a poetry event in person because they live somewhere or they work a schedule uh, or for whatever reasons their life circumstances and geographic specifics mean it hasn't been possible for them to share their work in a live setting. But not only can uh, Zoom and other similar platforms um, connect those people with audiences, but someone who's isolated but has a lot to share suddenly sees the barriers to both receiving and contributing poetic and spoken word content um, diminished. When your team was discussing, you know, this idea of going online, I imagine that at least for some performers and some creatives, there might have been some resistance to going online. Can you tell me a little more about that? Certainly. I think for even those of us who are the most enthusiastic about keeping programming uh, active and making sure that we were continuing to offer artists and audiences opportunities to connect, even those of us who were the most eager to do it still were nervous about some of the possible downsides and drawbacks. People at an open mic are in the room, they're feeling the energy, and you know that um, there's a limit on the number of people who are experiencing that work, and all of them are getting the full force of, of the energy. But there is something a little terrifying for artists as well as for those of us running the events about knowing that any number of people might be seeing the work and, and we're not always sure whether the people who come online and join the events know much about what we're doing or acclimated to it or ready 
for the sometimes challenging, um, you know, controversial, emotionally raw uh, topics that are going to be discussed. I mean, we, we try to make sure our audiences understand that these events are about free speech, free expression, and they may not always be polished and they may not always be comfortable to watch. We are uh, encouraging poets to bear their souls. And sometimes poets, understandably, like musicians and monologists and storytellers and comedians, sometimes solo performers get very nervous about the challenge of um, sharing sensitive personal uh, content in front of a sort of anonymous audience. There's also the fact that for a performer, when you're on stage, um, you don't always see all of the faces. You know people are out there watching you, you can feel their presence, hear their breathing, hear their um, applause or snaps or reactions. But on Zoom, and on any other platform, there's the ability to actually stare into the eyes of each individual person if they have their cameras on. And sometimes that's great and inspiring, especially if they're giving visual encouragement, if they're cheering you on, typing positive messages in the chat box. But also if someone is, you know, grimacing at the, at the screen or just seems to not be paying attention or eating a bag of chips or something that a person normally does in front of a screen, for a poet who's used to a very different sort of interaction with the audience, knowing uh, as you do in a bricks and mortar venue that the audience is pretty much just focused on you, it can be distracting and sometimes disconcerting to see that the, um, a Zoom audience or an online audience might be reacting differently in real time. Uh, we do try to make sure that there are opportunities for audiences to applaud and snap and and audibly show their appreciation after a poem, but still for veteran performers who've been spending lots of, lots of time over the years with live audiences, it can be disconcerting. And there also are Zoom bombers. Uh, we sometimes call them party crashers instead, but people who will um, try to, you know, enter an online event with the sole intention of disrupting it, making trouble, posting or voicing offensive commentary. And just generally speaking, privacy is a concern, I think, for many artists and the question of whether when you're performing and sharing work online, um, is there a risk of someone, um, you know, stealing it or, or making use of it or in some way um, disrupting the experience? Um, there are fears and concerns, but uh, we found that the benefits far outweigh those downsides. So when things start to go back to normal, do you see the the cafe continuing online events in conjunction with in-person events um the short answer is, is yes um the long answer is of course a long one it's also just sort of ironic that as you're asking that question the main thing i hear in the background is sirens <laughs> just over and over and over um and that's sort of metaphorical for what you know the challenges are right now um the world needs art, our audiences and artists and students need connection and need inspiration. And at the same time, emergency workers, frontline workers, those who are currently afflicted and those who are at risk of future um, affliction during, you know, because of the pandemic, um, also need safety and space and time and resources. And we wanna make sure that we're providing cultural connection and the opportunity for artists to share their work and to find um, uh, support and engagement and, and sort of psychological and emotional relief by being connected to each other. But 
We want to make sure that we are doing that in a way that also doesn't impact relief efforts and doesn't endanger uh, any audience members or spectators um, or performers by, you know, rushing back and, and, uh, and doing live and in-person events before we know 100% sure that we can do them safely. But we're also going to do online events indefinitely because we've seen there's a tremendous audience out there that uh, is outside of the New York City area, but also for any number of reasons, uh, can't get to events in person. Some people can't uh, afford to, you know, make the trip from where they live to an arts venue that does poetry slam. Some people can't wait in line for three or five hours, however long it takes sometimes. Um, you know, artists line up outside our venue really early for bricks and mortar events. Um, but when you do digital events, it's much more possible for people to not have to endure all the challenges of, uh, you know, of showing, showing up in person. And um, we want to do both. We want to continue reaching people who uh, are unable to or unwilling to join these events in person and continue offering them creative outlets for connection. But the importance of the neighborhood and the building uh, to our organization are tremendous. And as soon as we're allowed to, we'll be back there as well. So we anticipate doing both. Um, so given the fact that there is so much uncertainty, how are you and your team thinking about the future? You know, how, do you basically... You know, whereas in the past, perhaps you had a plan for the quarter or the year, how has your uh, planning style shifted? It's always been important for us to plan in the short term and the long term, long term at the same time. So at this point, we know that we can sustain these online events and we know it's important to do so. And so for the immediate term and maybe even the, the middle term, let's say, you know, over the next six to nine months, uh, our focus will continue to be on providing online programming to connect um, artists and audiences who are isolated from each other. Uh, with that being said, you know, every week we are looking at what we might be able to do um, in person as soon as we're allowed to reopen. Um, but we, our, our intention is to keep digital events going indefinitely and to have um, enough of a uh, logistical, artistic, and financial plan to hopefully be able to support, um, you know, staff and, and artists uh, once we're able to get back in in the fall or, or thereabouts. I mean, that relies a lot on funders and donors helping us out. And like a lot of organizations, we are asking a lot of uh, both public and private supporters. Um, so, really, just communicating with the public about what needs to happen for the cafe and other small cultural organizations to reopen. I'm wondering, and this is kind of a two-part question, um, but what advice would you give to, first of all, you know, artists and creatives, and secondly, to organizations who are feeling a bit more stuck and, you know, not, haven't quite found a creative solution like you have found? One of the most important dynamics is to to keep moving, um, but to keep moving in an intelligent, informed, and, and sensitive way, a way that takes into account what audiences 
want and need, what the artists that an organization serves want and need, and what the staff of that organization want and need. And when I say that it's important to keep moving, what I mean is to keep providing the artistic or the support activity for nonprofits and, and for-profits uh, that exist to support and help others, to keep providing those services even when there is not a clear financial component to doing so. Focusing on meeting the need before focusing on supporting those services. Although the two things, of course, go hand in hand, and I would never suggest to an organization or an individual that they run themselves ragged, uh, providing services, providing support, providing art, and never thinking about the bottom line. You have to think about the bottom line, but at this point in time, because there's such a uh, um, generosity online, but there's also a tension between generosity and scarcity of resources. There are many people and organizations who want to give, who want to be charitable, who want to support a cause or an organization they care about, but many of those same entities and individuals are also themselves strapped for cash or trying to divide their resources among many needy causes and among many hungry mouths. So anyone can ask for resources, anyone can ask for money and ask for help, but it's a more effective ask when it comes from an individual or a group that is continuing to provide beneficial services, beneficial art, useful um, support. You know, we, we have gotten modest amounts of resources now to support some of what we're doing, but we, you know, we were operating all of these programs at a loss and, and many of them we can, are continuing to. Um, and whether there is support coming in from donors or funders or not, we are committed to continuing um, to make artistic resources available to uh, audiences and artists and students across the country. And simply remaining present and remaining helpful and remaining upbeat and remaining willing to be part of the greater effort is so hugely important. And that kind of positive energy drives other positive energies. That kind of positivity inspires other people and organizations, and it also can help drive donations and grants. This is a point in history when as many of us as possible need to do the good work and focus more on doing the good work than on where the support for us is going to come from. And I'm not saying abandon the search for that support. I mean, we spend a lot of time applying for grants, a lot of time trying to encourage donations, but we're doing it with an eye towards programming that we've been doing since pretty much the pandemic started, since before the pandemic started, honestly, and that we are continuing to do now. I love it. How can our listeners around the world support you? Well, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, they can learn more about our programs by checking us out at newyorican.org. That's N-U-Y-O-R-I-C-A-N.org. And uh, if they want to um, help kick in a few dollars to keep our programs going, uh, you can go to newyorican.org backslash contribute. That's N-U-Y-O-R-I-C-A-N.org slash contribute. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Daniel. Absolutely. Make sure to check the show notes to learn more about Daniel and the great work they're doing at the New Yorican Poets Cafe. If this episode inspired you, please share it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit changeofplanspodcast.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in.